Waveform Magazine is a free print publication that focuses on synthesizers and those who inhabit that world. Issue number one is due out in April 2019 and features interviews with Suzanne Ciani, Dave Smith, Folk Tech, with articles written by DivKid, Abe from AI Synthesis, and more. There are also plenty of gear reviews, music reviews, and a shop talk section where we get to know about those who run our beloved synth shops. Sign up for your free subscription at www.waveformagazine.com and follow them on Instagram. Pod Mod Bods, welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. I got some some stuff to talk about here. First, I want to talk about our sponsor, Patchworks. It's our local uh, synth shop, heavily focused on community. Um, they have a lot of really cool workshops. Uh, people do uh, demos on different products. They have uh, manufacturer representatives coming through pretty regularly. Um, they have a... Uh, a they have a soldering night where you can bring your DIY kits in or your broken gear and have uh, an expert help you out. And uh, you can just build with other people who are enthusiastic about DIY. And for you listening who aren't in Seattle, they have an excellent shop online. They just spruced up their website, patchworks.com, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. Go check it out and support uh, a really awesome brick and mortar store because, uh, in this day and age, there's just not a whole lot of those. And uh, if you live in a town where you don't have a synth shop, it would be really cool if you could uh, help support our growing and strengthening community up here in Seattle. So I'm pretty excited. I'm going to New Orleans in a few days. Uh, this episode will be released Monday, and I'm leaving Wednesday in the afternoon. I mentioned it last week, but I'm doing a live podcast at... Uh, Disco Obscura, which is a record label slash record shop slash recording studio. I'm really excited to check it out. In fact, this song that you hear below me is uh, is by a band called Creeper and, uh, yeah, released on Disco Obscura. So check out their band camp. They've got a really, really cool selection of stuff like this and, and stuff that's a little different. That was a really stupid thing to say, but I said it, and I'm a human. Um... So, I said last weekend the show was going to be on Saturday, February 9th. It's actually been moved to sa- Sunday, February 10th at Disco Obscura, 6 to 9 p.m. So, if you're in the Louisiana area or somewhere around where New Orleans isn't that far of a drive, I would love to I'd love to meet some some Southern Pod Mod Bods. Are you out there? Um, I'm really excited. We've got some we've got some pretty cool guests um, and I think the the format of the show will be like, bring the first guest on, talk to him for 15 minutes, take a crowd suggestion for adjective and noun, give them 15 minutes in their headphones to make a new patch out of that suggestion while I talk to the next guest, and so on down the line, and then we'll play at the end. And I might just put together a little set to perform at the end. So yeah, I would love to see you Sunday, February 10th, 6 to 9 p.m. at Disco Obscura. You know, one of the coolest aspects or coolest benefits of uh, doing this show so far has just been the amazing people that I've met either in person or online and just the, all the awesome people that have reached out to me. Um, and uh, I was, re- as you know, I was really sick and I posted something on Instagram about being sick and sorry, there won't be an episode this week. And I had um, a record label 
called Flag Day Recordings, reach out and just say, hey, what's your address? We want to send you a Get Well package. <laughs> and uh, so yesterday in the mail, I got a couple cassettes. And uh, actually, what you're hearing right now is, uh, is a song called Blue Jaunt off the album Discorporeal. <laughs> That's a pretty cool name. Uh, by Benjamin Mach, M-A-U-C-H. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, but the uh, So that was one of the tapes they sent me. And then the other one is called The Great Krell Machine, Volume 1, which is a compilation. And it actually has a few past guests on it. We've got uh, Walker Farrell and Todd Barton. And, uh, yeah, a couple other really awesome artists. So thank you, Flag Day. Um, go, go check out their band camp. They've got a lot of cool stuff. Another cool thing that has happened through the the community of uh, that's kind of forming around this show is uh, Patreon subscriber Matthew Powell made a uh, a Spotify playlist that is consisting of tracks from either past guests or stuff that I have played on the show, um, and it's just called uh, I think it's just called Pod Mod 2018. So uh, yeah, go find that and check it out. And thanks again, Matt, for making that. That's super cool. And Matt also has his own project called Uska, which I highly recommend. I've played it a few times on the show. Um, so a few weeks back, I tried starting this kind of like community building sounding board, I guess. I don't know. I need to, I need to think of a name for this little segment. But basically, if you're in an area and you don't really know anybody who's doing modular stuff or there doesn't seem to be much of a scene or you're trying to make a particular type of music and you want to find someone in your area to collaborate with, write to me. I'll give you a shout out on the show with, uh, you know, your, your Instagram profile or your email or however you want people to contact you. And hopefully we can start connecting people. Um, yeah, all over the, all over the place. So this week we have uh, Tulpa by Proxy. Will you make a uh, request on your podcast for me? After years of making Craigslist, Craigslist ads, uh, going to techno shows, and making Reddit posts, I have yet to find someone who wants to make techno music with hardware. I live in the metro Detroit area and would love to write and develop music with someone, even if it's just for fun. Thank you so much. Um, so, Tulpa by Proxy on uh, Instagram. T-U-L-P-A B-Y-P-R-O-X-Y. So, yeah. Hey, hey, Detroit people, you want to make some techno, techno with hardware? Get a hold of them. And all right, next up, we got Eric D. Bauer uh, from Idaho. I recently found your show. Love what you're doing. Thank you, Eric. I've gone modular only in the last few years, but have worked with music and video slash film with audio as a career and musician throughout my career. I'm hungry for the kind of learning that happens with multiple minds, but in Boise, Idaho, I haven't been able to find them. Not sure if anybody from my area has contacted you, but if so, I'd forever be grateful for sharing info. Thanks again. So if you're in the Boise um, or surrounding area in Idaho, check out Eric D. Bauer on Instagram, E-R-I-C-D-B-O-W-E-R, and there are uh, no spaces there. So... Yeah, let's let's start uh, let's start building communities. I would love to see a modular on the spot Boise. <laughs> I feel like that would be pretty cool. I am pretty pumped to introduce you to a brand new sponsor today. Um, 
After Later Audio. I love that name, by the way. After Later Audio is a boutique audio company located in Seattle, Washington. With roots in the Chicago house scene of the 1990s, they have been restoring vintage audio gear since 2005 and have now found a home in the world of Eurorack. Each module is built with an attention to detail that guarantees the highest quality, and you can feel the difference with every turn of a knob. Their panel options are sleek, custom designs, and multiple finishes, so you can choose the look that will best fit your rack layout. Out. Modules are available on their website afterlateraudio.com and on other e-commerce sites. They have happy customers on five continents, which is reflected in their online reviews. If you would like to follow what they're up to, check out their Instagram, where you can get a glimpse into the lives of modular synth builders. And I can tell you personally that this stuff is really great. Um, in fact, this track that you hear below me talking right now, I made with just the nano rings, which is an 8 HP rings, and the uh, the micro plats, which uh, they're called a knit k-n-i-t and that one is only six hp so if uh you know if size is a concern and you're trying to squeeze uh, a lot of modules into a smaller case then uh, go check out afterlateraudio.com and, and check out what kind of options they have all right on today's show we have kevin meyer who um he came over to my house a little bit before Christmas, and we had a nice dinner, drank some wine, and uh, and then did a podcast. So uh, I think we we were both a little buzzed for it. So, um, but it was really great to talk to him, and and you're gonna you're gonna hear about all this stuff. But just a little just a little background info. He's he got into uh, being a musician pretty late in life, and was a writer. And uh, you can tell that he is. Um, you can kind of tell he's a writer because of the way he told his story on the on the show. It actually is pretty unique. I think I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's running a, a bunch of different events down there in Portland, including the Modular on the Spot, and uh, yeah, a few more. And he's going to talk about those. But before we get into that, I want to show you a demo of the Disting Mark IV. So let's get into that. All right, we're going to look at the. Disting Mark IV from Expert Sleepers. Um, I want to show you the dual reverb algorithm on it. Uh, right now, I've got the nano rings from After Later Audio uh, going into each channel. So I don't know if you know much about rings, but it has an odd and even output. And so I've got the odd going into the X input of Disting and then the uh, even output going into the Y. And so here is one of those. Dry signal right now. Snappy, plinky. Let's bring that other. You can hear a little bit of the reverb there. Sorry, I didn't have it all the way down. But let's turn the mix up. So all the way to the right of the wet-dry, it gives you your wet mix with your full-dry mix. Um, and what's really cool is if you turn it all the way to the left, you get just your wet mix. Now, I purposely set this uh, this reverb to not really fit this sound that well. At least this isn't how I would use reverb on this pl plucky of a sound. But I want to go through some of the parameters to show you how we can make this reverb fit this sound. So let's start with the first parameter, size. Let's turn that size up. Sounds a little better. Let's back that down a little bit. 
Next is your feedback. I'll turn that up. Starting to sound even cooler. I'll back it down just a little bit more so we don't get it cascading on itself too much. Now there's uh, a character. Uh, there's there's six different characters. Um, so let's see here. Let's check out character. Let's see here zero. Character one. Character two. They're very subtle, but you'll notice by the time they get to five, you'll hear a big difference. Character three, four, and five. Let's bring it back down to one. I liked one. Um, and you, you notice more of a variation between those characters with uh, different signals going into it. And then finally, here's where we're going to really make this, uh, this reverb fit this particular uh, sound that I'm feeding it. There is a filter parameter. So let's round this off a little bit. We lost a lot of that snap because it's a very snappy sound. So we're, we're filtering off that high end to give the desired effects of reverb. Although you may like it. Let's bring that filter back down. You may, that could be something you like, the snappy part of it. But personally, I like to round it off a little bit. Now here's where the real fun comes in. The Z input uh, is your wet dry. So you can control that with CV. Now I've got the angle grinder being controlled by the maths, doing some pretty fun uh, LFO action. So let's feed that into the wet dry CV input. I'm messing with the wet wet dry knob to really get it dialed into where I like it. I like that. So there you have it. That's just one of the reverbs that you can do, and uh, you can feed this two totally different signals. So I happen to use the odd and even from rings, which is kind of the same voice, but you could add something else into the second input and split those and basically just have two different reverbs. Um, although the wet dry would all be controlled by the same stuff, but that could be fun. So yeah, go to expertsleepers.co.uk for more information and videos. The user manual is excellent. Um, and if you've picked up a disting because you heard about it on the show, let me know. And I would love to hear what your favorite algorithms are and if there are any algorithms you'd like me to demo next week. So growing up in South Dakota, is that where you found music? Uh, it's where I found music to listen to. Not to perform, okay. I guess. And uh, how do you find music to listen to in <laughs> South Dakota? Because uh, in eastern Washington, it was really fucking It hard. was not easy. Um, <laughs> you know, much thanks to Ernie November's, which I think still exists there. It was the, the one record shop I would go in and just dig through. It was mostly CDs at the time, yeah. you know. Um, so I could find my weird industrial music that I love so much. And... Uh, occasionally pick one up and mostly just kind of lust after a lot of it because I didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. You know? 
So, okay, industrial music in South Dakota. Yeah. Is that something you stumbled upon, or do you have a cool older cousin or older brother or something? So I, I think, um, you know, being a 90s teenager, uh, Nine Inch Nails was the gateway drug, yeah. right? Um, the first time I heard Nine Inch Nails uh, was cool older cousin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it was like the time of the broken EP. So, like, I had this idea in my head that Nine Inch Nails was a metal band, uh-huh. which mm, kind it's of with that EP. It's weird that they lumped into that. Yeah. They like play with metal bands back then. But, um... I was uh, I got access to MTV for the first time during the summer of 1994 when <laughs> Closer was in constant rotation, uh-huh. and at the time I'd been like you know really into, um, I guess pop punk kind of stuff at okay. the time, right? You know, so of that era it was like Nirvana, Green Day, The Offspring, yep, et cetera. Bad yeah, Religion, Smash, right? Smash yeah. changed my life when I was eight or something. So uh, Closer started playing on the air all the time and. I don't know. You know, I had some of those like dumb ideas that that you get around that time, like, oh, uh, synthesizers aren't real instruments. You know? <laughs> yeah. Guitars are real instruments. I didn't know how to play guitar. I like, I, why would I have that opinion? I don't know. <laughs> but I had it, uh, and so when the video for Closer starts playing over and over again, you know, it's an absolutely disgusting video. Yeah, that heart pump at the yeah. beginning, just yeah, cockroaches and meat wings and God knows what. <laughs> <laughs> Meat Wings, that's a yeah. great name for a band. Just throwing that out there, you can have it. <laughs> so uh, over the summer, though, that, that it starts to grow on me. I, I start liking it more and more. And at one point, you know, toward the end of the summer, I'm just like in the living room watching MTV, and my dad's there on the couch with me, and the video for Closer comes on, and I'm like getting into it. And he's just looking at me, like <laughs> trying to figure out what the fuck is going on in my head. And it's and finally he's like, you like this? I'm like, yeah. It was the first time I had to say it out loud. I'm like, yeah, I like this. This video, this song, this whole mess, you know. Mm-hmm. And I like started to become with a co- more familiar with a couple of the singles from that album, like March of the Pigs and that sort of thing. So uh, that year on my birthday, I like bought myself a copy of the Downward Spiral, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Went home, you know, peeled it open. Like, the packaging was amazing. I'd never seen packaging for a CD like that. There was, like, so much care and attention to it. Wasn't it and a cardboard? Was it the, one of the yeah, early Yeah, it had a cardboard had kind sleeve. Of like the, the glued-in plastic thing on cardboard, if yeah. I remember right. it, it had, So it had, like, a cardboard sleeve. It had uh, the really thin uh, case for the CD. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, I yeah. forget what you call it. Like a, there was a name for it. jewel case or something? Or? I think jewel case was the standard one. There was okay. something for the like really thin one. Mm-hmm. And then it had a really thick booklet with a lot of art by Russell Mills in it that I was just fascinated by. It was like feathers and teeth the and moths and stuff. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so I just like listened to the album and was like flipping through this book, you know, reading the lyric sheet and going like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? This is amazing. <laughs> Uh, and I fell asleep listening to this album, which was like this harsh, noisy thing. But I felt like really relaxed and I didn't even finish the album. I just fell asleep. Uh, mm-hmm. And I didn't really have any concept for why. It took, uh, I don't know, I was probably 16 then. And so I think about 20 years later, I first heard of the concept of uh, musical for son, which is like a tingling sensation that you get from certain... Uh, changes in music or it could be like a loud quiet shift or it could be a really Uh abrasive noise or whatever and when I heard about that concept uh, 
it was while I was reading an article about ASMR, uh-huh. you know, that YouTube video yeah, called, yeah. that makes no sense to me because oh, it does nothing for me. Yeah. But uh, when I was reading an article about ASMR and I read that thing about musical persona, I was like, oh my God, that's why I like abrasive, noisy music is because for some reason it's like really relaxing to me. Like I can fall asleep to the most horrible sounds, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And everything made sense. I'm like, okay, that's, yeah, that's why I started liking industrial music and noise music and and stuff like that after that. It didn't speak to... an angsty side. I mean, maybe it did as well, but it wasn't so much kind of like an angsty anger thing that it spoke to. Or it did to a certain degree. Um, you know, I I didn't like join a band back then or anything. I wasn't like wanting to like scream angsty lyrics or whatever. Uh, I never wanted to like wear the goth uniform or whatever. Yeah. I just like I, I dress so weird. Like I wear the weirdest clothes. Like <laughs> I look like a fucking clown. <laughs> Uh, there's like very few pictures of me from that area era and it's probably a good thing. Um, <laughs> your parents were like, well, we'll just wait until he passes through the phase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but you know, I think that was, that was part of it. Like growing up in, in South Dakota, uh, it was around that time also that, you know, I didn't really have any role models in the sense of, uh, political, liberal beliefs right everybody around me was like right-wing racist sexist homophobic and i kind of had to figure out on my own that like that stuff wasn't for me Mm -hmm. and i i I, so i guess like once i started to figure that stuff out and realized that like i was in the wrong place like i lost the birth lottery you know was that was that kind of through music that you've learned that I th- it was probably largely responsible for it. I mean, I think was it was a lot of things, but yeah. it was uh, it was a big factor in it. You yeah, know, it opened up a lot of stuff for me. Luckily, um, I had my best friend's older sister, who was like everybody just thought was you know like not everybody, but like she didn't she she dyed her hair colors, so she was weird. You know, mm-hmm. like um, you know, same thing in Eastern Washington, very similar, lots of racist, homophobic shit like that, and uh, yeah, she showed me. Uh, descendants and misfits and then mm-hmm. that was kind of like the catalyst i was like what the fuck is this and yeah. being like uh in eighth grade jumping on a trampoline a fat kid wearing <laughs> probably like a like a seahawk shirt or something jumping on eighth grade or jumping on a, a trampoline listening to uh milo goes to college you know parents why don't you shut up <laughs> so i could relate i guess that was a long-winded way of saying i relate to that yeah there's i mean there's certainly uh elements of of like uh, Nine Inch Nails, especially that like spoke to me in that angsty sense, where it was like more like the um, pretty hate machine stuff. Like yeah. you know, I had a, a girl I totally fell in love with, and like we we dated for like a year and a half, but it didn't work out. We didn't really figure out until years later that's like, oh, it's because she's into women and <laughs> didn't know it yet. You know, yeah, yeah. so like we loved each other. That's we were great friends, but like nothing worked in like a. Yeah. actual relationship sense and, and, and this like, was in south dakota still yeah so it's probably a really hard thing to really yeah. come to terms to yeah. yeah and uh and so like i remember you know when that was like falling apart and neither of us could really figure out why because we loved the shit out of each other like i would just listen to like something i could never have on repeat and, like <laughs> mope you know oh man teenage <laughs> the teenage years <laughs> uh you know there uh, you know i think i had some like anger at the system kind of stuff yeah. that, that factored in. But I think more so it's always been a love of the sound of it, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is why like later in my life, I found myself more drawn to like 
really abrasive instrumental music uh, or music like, you know, if you take something like more recently Blank Mass that's very yeah. industrial in nature mm -hmm. and it has a lot of vocals in it, but it's it's not words. It's yeah. just garbled, mangled things where a, a vocal is an instrument. You can tell it was a voice once. But, right, right. Um, that tends to be more what I find myself drawn to these days. You ever get into Sun? Not really, no. No? That's that's something that I've... I don't know. I uh, I want to see him live really bad. Mm -hmm. I actually just heard uh, Div Kid and Myler Melodies were just talking, which I recommend that podcast if you haven't listened to it. Yeah. Um, they talked a lot about Sun. They, they kept calling him Sun-O, and I will forgive that, but <laughs> as a Northwesterner, <laughs> I know it's just Sun. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen to like literally any metal whatsoever, and I still know that. So I don't know. Yeah, where I'm I not. That up. I'm not super into. I was into metal as a teenager, but I'm not into it now. But I just, yeah, I love. I love what they're doing, and I keep. I keep telling people like I want to work on an album that is right in the middle, the meeting point between, uh, like, Sun, and Brian Eno's ambient works. Okay. Yeah. And it'll probably suck if I try to make that, but that's just <laughs> that's kind of where my head's at right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Only one way to find out. Yeah, right. And then let others judge you, perhaps harshly. <laughs> Sorry, I derailed you. Um, so, pretty hate machine. You're yeah, yeah. That was. I mean, I started with downward spiral, but um, I think I like connected more emotionally with pretty hate machine. Yeah. Uh, it's a little catchier. Yeah, and but musically more with the downward spiral. Like mm -hmm. that's still to this day, even though I don't like. I have no identity wrapped up in the idea of like somebody losing their shit and going on a drugged up murderous suicidal spiral, you know. Right, like, right, right. Not me. Yeah. <laughs> but that album musically is just so incredible and I'll I'll love it forever, you know. Like I I have like the first, you know, print vinyl version of it i have a <laughs> russell mills painting like an original nice. russell mills painting that i picked up uh it was one of those like uh i don't know the trent Reznor did some kind of release of a book of art uh and and if you bought the limited edition version of it there was like an original russell mills painting in it so like i bought one of those oh, and I was like, now i own a russell mills painting <laughs> um which you know, was like a, a lifelong dream. I don't have a big, real original Russell yeah. Mills painting, but you know, it's like a four by six painting. Hey, that it's made. an it's original. Amazing, you know? that, yeah. That's like I don't know. That the, find stuff like that if it means something to you. It's that's that's the yeah. most important part. Yep. So was it kind of was it that kind of was it that album that made you want to start making those kind of sounds? Because that's that's what made me want to play music. Because I heard sounds that I liked. It's like how can I do that? Yeah. Uh, it definitely made me want to do that. Um, and it was, you know, kind of a, like a lifelong dream that I actually didn't get to realize until I was like 36 years old or something. Okay. You know? Um, I, uh, I was a fiction writer for a long time and, you know, people would ask me like, you know, what, what is it you love about fiction writing? There's a lot of things I loved about fiction writing, but one of the things I loved about fiction writing when I was in my late teen years was it was cheap. Yeah. Like I could <laughs> get a pen and a paper and I could just write, you know, and write and write and write and write. Um, you know, I'd gotten very inspired by like, uh, watching the movie fight club, mm -hmm. and everybody, you know, every young male, my age. Right. And there, there, you want some angst. There's, Oh yeah. There's fight I, club, I've, right? I've read the book <laughs> twice and seen the movie many yeah. times. Yeah. We're so probably watched, close to the same age. I think I watched the movie like five times in the theater and then read the book a million times and, 
Um, so after I moved away from South Dakota at the age of 21, I like went to New York for a little while, uh, wrote my ass off for like a month, like wrote the first draft of a whole book. But I quickly realized that New York had defeated me. Yeah. I was like, eh, that's fine. <laughs> New York, you, that. can, you can have yourself. I will <laughs> go somewhere else. And I moved to Portland instead uh, with my girlfriend at the time, who would later become my wife and who would later become my ex-wife, <laughs> uh, which will become relevant later when we talk about starting to make music. Um, yeah. But uh, I knew that uh, Tom Spambauer, who uh, taught Chuck Palahniuk to write, mm -hmm. had a workshop in Portland. So it took me about three years after I moved out there uh, to figure out how to get into this workshop. But Didn't Chuck... Polynix to like do those workshops too with the yeah. original people that he was mm -hmm. doing. Yeah. He was in the like first iteration of that workshop, and okay. so he was you know long gone from that workshop by the time I joined it. But I was in it for like thirteen years, and for the last three years or so before Tom retired, I was helping him teach as well. Okay, um, and I, I loved it. It was like it taught me so much about making art in a totally different way than music, obviously. But um, in terms of like being really dead serious about your craft and working every day on it and never letting anything be good enough, which can be paralyzing when you're trying to release something. Oops. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I still don't, I haven't released an album yet um, or an EP or anything because I'm like always, what I learned from that, that writing workshop was like, it has to be good enough. Right. Know? Yeah. It, it, like don't do it until it's ready. Um, but so, uh, you know, Tom Tom got sick. Tom retired. The workshop kind of broke apart. Roughly around that same time, I got divorced. Uh, and all of a sudden, I had a lot more free time on my hands. So I started thinking about what I wanted to do with all that free time. And I was walking down Mississippi Avenue uh, on in Portland. And I came across this sandwich board that says Control Voltage. <laughs> and analog synths, drum machines, blah, blah, blah. I forget what all's on the. Uh -huh. It's still the and same like sandwich board this day. Yeah, yeah, eight yeah. bit font kind of thing, and I was like, "Oh, uh, I'm going in there." So I just wandered down the little alley that it's tucked back into and walked in. And there's, you know, the first thing you see when you walk in is this giant uh, mono rocket, like twelve U modular synth case. Uh -huh. Nothing was patched up. It's just a bunch of blinking lights and jacks and knobs. And wait, hold on. Let me let me stop you. So up until this point, you had not been a musician. Had you ever bought a piece of musical equipment? Oh, okay, yeah. Let's let's jump I was back say, real quick. If that's if that's your kind of baptism, that is baptism by <laughs> molten lava. There's okay, yeah. We're missing a few steps here. One before and one after. Uh huh. Uh, so the one before would be I, you know, I grew up playing the cello. Oh. Okay. Uh, and the trombone, mostly the cello. Um, okay. So you do have a okay. All right. All right. I've forgotten most of it. Right. But yeah, right. I had that background. Uh huh. Um, I was I was pretty good at the cello. I was usually like first or second chair, blah blah blah. Um, but like, I quit in I think my after my sophomore year of high school because the the orchestra teacher was an insane person. Uh -huh. uh, he was he was himself a cellist, so he hated the cellists and would like throw chairs when we enough. fucked up and you know scream his head off. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not doing that. Uh, and I didn't have the money to rent my own cello or buy my own, continue mm -hmm. paying for lessons and that sort of thing. So it just kind of got dropped from my life and I wasn't making music anymore after that. Um, 
when I had my like quarter life crisis and had to get the fuck out of South Dakota and move to New York, shortly before that, I was like, oh, I'm going to start learning how to make music. And I bought like a copy of Cakewalk. Okay. You know, and I bought a synth. <laughs> but there was, you couldn't buy a real analog synth or anything in, in Rapid City, South Dakota. There was no. no shop for it. There was no scene for it. You know, all the, the music that was like in the DIY scene was punk or metal there. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't really into either of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no electronic or industrial scene there. So there wasn't anybody to teach me what kind of synth to buy, where I would find one, if I were to order one or whatever. So, you know, like I bought the synth I could find. It was some kind of Yamaha preset thing. Yeah. And we're talking like a tricked out version of one of those old Casios that has like a trumpet button. Right. So something you'd find at the Goodwill right now, yeah. like six different versions. Yeah, of but it. it's like 61 keys and it's got speakers built yeah, in. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> I like Drum had this beats. idea that I was buying a synth. Uh-huh. You know? No, I was not <laughs> buying a synth, uh, and I was like so confused why I couldn't get this thing to like sound mm-hmm. like the music I listened to. You know, I'm like, well, this is a synthesizer; it should just do that, right? right? Mm-hmm. So, and I couldn't figure out how Cakewalk worked. It was a train wreck of a program. Turns out, it's not much of a Cakewalk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. Uh, then I got married, and then a whole lot of years passed spent writing and that sort of thing and you know that uh, who knows what even happened to that synth i probably sold it on craigslist after i moved out to portland or something it's in a goodwill somewhere yeah (laughs) probably out in the bins okay so sorry i derailed it but i'm glad we got that because okay so you you see the that was my reader board yeah that was my attempt to buy a synthesizer and it's still quite a leap to go from that to walk into control voltage yeah so, so yeah, all these years later, I'm 35 years old or whatever, 36. I walk into Control Voltage, and there's this modular synth staring me in the face. And, I, you know, I know what a modular synth is. I, th- I think the first time I was exposed to it was like uh, Radiohead playing Idiotech on Saturday Night Live uh-huh. and Johnny Greenwood's playing the weird thing with all the cables and the lights uh-huh. and whatever, you know. Um and I saw Radiohead live at the Gorge, and they had a modular synth out on stage for that, too. I was, like, right up front. It was one of the most amazing shows I've ever seen. Um, probably a year or two before I walked into Control Voltage. No, yeah, it would have been very close to that time, actually. Uh, factory Floor played at the Doug Fur there, okay. and that's one where, like, you, you can't be far away from the stage right, there. Yeah, and they, had a, they were still a three-piece back then. Uh, and they had a huge modular synth on stage. And that was like the first time ever really seeing one up close. And I it couldn't grasp what it was, but I heard the sound coming out of it. And I loved the sound so coming out of it. So you had a seed planted and, yeah. and a relative understanding of what, what it was. But I, I walked into Control Voltage and I was like, I, I looked at the modular synth and kind of poked around at it, you know, and I was like, Nope, not touching that with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> and I walked out with an impulse purchase of a microbrute and a Volca Beats. That's not bad. Yeah. You can get started with yeah. that pretty easily. And we, cool you know, shit. I talked with Jason there who owns the shop, and, uh-huh. and I landed on the, the microbrute because it had the little patch bay that if I wanted to get into mm-hmm. modular later could interface with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wanted a cheap drum machine. And I still the Volca have my Beats Volca was Beats, that. man. I don't anymore, but it was... It, did good for me for a long time, you know? Yeah. Um, the trick is finding the right guitar pedals to run it through. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it is what it is with nothing else. You mm-hmm. got to run it through some shit. Yeah. But. Yep. Not that I knew that at the time. Mm-hmm. But so 
Yeah, this was a little over four years ago. So I'm, I just turned 40 this year. Was, I would have been 36 then. And I, I go home with my uh, microbrute and my Volca Beats. And then about six weeks pass, and I wake up as if from, like, a heroin overdose in a gutter. <laughs> and I haven't, like, remembered to eat or drink or see my friends or, or any. I've just been obsessed with this synth and this drum machine, uh-huh. trying to figure out how they work and, like, always buying more cables and uh-huh. like trying to figure out how to get them to connect to each other and talk because I didn't, you know, I was having a hard time understanding how the MIDI stuff worked and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Um, and it, it like scared the crap out of me that I'd gotten those so obsessed with these things and I just like shoved them in a closet. Oh, uh, you went, oh, wow, yeah. I figured you'd go the other way. Okay. Um, well, I was like, it, it, it it was just a weird time in my life, you know, because I'd mm-hmm. gotten divorced. I was completely trying to rebuild my life from scratch for the most part, you know. Uh, I, I had, like, my friends from my writing community and that sort of thing. But, like, I, other than that, that was, like, the only constant. Everything in my life was in turmoil. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, I'm going to, like, I'll never write again if I if I start messing around with this thing. I'm, like, so obsessed. And so I just, just like, shove it in the closet for a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh, a year goes by. I it, like I haven't brought the thing back out of the closet. I know what's in there, and I'm like always kind of tempted to pull it back out. Uh-huh. But I'm like not even consciously aware that I'm scared of it. But I'm scared of it enough that it just stays in there, you know. <laughs> for fear of of losing the the creative spirit for writing. Yeah, mainly. Okay. Uh, or just like like losing friendships, which I'm just starting to rebuild, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, and that sort of thing. <laughs> so. So a year goes by, and uh, I'm I'm like out at the coast with my girlfriend, and it's like the middle of the night. We're like laying on a blanket in the middle of summer, staring up at the stars. Uh, you know, we've had a lot to drink, uh, etc. And somehow we get on the concept of music, and, and she's like, "What? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, just if you love music that much, and you still think about making it all the time, like, who cares if you're a crazy person? Like, be a crazy person. Yeah." Get it? get it out of the closet and start using it. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And like two months go by, I don't get it out of the closet. It still sits there. But I'm like thinking about that conversation and like um, it was important. It was an important conversation for me for a couple of reasons. One of them being like while I was married, I can't imagine my partner being that supportive of me being a crazy introverted person who just fucks around with a machine for mm-hmm. like six hours straight, you know? Um, so I could never imagine that either. But as we have this conversation, my wife is reading a book on the couch right now. So I lucked out and found, yeah. Found a good <laughs> <laughs> and I, I lucked out later in life cause you know, my partner is now very supportive of my insanity. <laughs> um, and it's kind of her fault. I'm blaming her. She told me <laughs> to do it. Um, but like I, I, was like flipping through Netflix one day and I find, uh, oh, they have, um, I dream of wires. Yeah. I dream of wires. Yeah. They, they had it available on streaming. Uh-huh. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I love I got this one. I'll hit play. And I got like halfway through the movie and I was just like, so excited. I like hit pause, dug the synth out of the closet, <laughs> dug the, dug the, the drum machine out of the closet and hooked them up and like, didn't even finish watching the movie. I just started fucking around with the synths again. Was it Trent Reznor being in it? How much did that have to do with it? Or was it just kind of the um, whole thing? 
Ooh, I don't know if I can remember that specifically. Like he was in it, wasn't he? It was like yeah, a very he's in it quite a bit. I think is he okay? Yeah. Um, I can't remember what specific element of it. It's probably just the whole thing. Yeah, yeah just. Um, but I, yeah, so I, I I dug them back out of the closet and I was like, okay, uh, I'm gonna take my girlfriend's advice and I'm gonna start being a crazy person and just <laughs> go with it because I'm not writing anyway, you know, like whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I gave that about a month or two and I started going into. Uh, Muff Wiggler mm-hmm. when it was still a physical store in Portland and, and Basic was there and helped me out a lot understand how all this stuff worked and, and what I should buy I kind of did a lot of planning and research and my first set of modules was like a half impulse purchase half <laughs> planned out you know where it like I'd had three familiar. or four sessions where I'm just patching things up trying to understand how it works and like uh, at the time, I like I had this preference for for Muff Wiggler because it was like more of an arty store. It's kind of a weird, interesting space where there's like, they have like hands coming space. out of the wall with patch cables dangling <laughs> from stuff. Where <laughs> control voltage felt more like I was in a mall. You know, like it was is all very neatly laid out and very well stocked and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like drawn to the arty nature of of uh, of Muff Wiggler. So I'd go in there and. Talked to Basic and and he helped me, you know, set myself up with my first three U one hundred four HP case and like five modules, like the bare minimum to build uh-huh. a synth voice uh, that like I could fold in with the micro brute and the the Volca beats and hopefully start. Yeah, you, yeah, good multi tracking sort of stuff together. Find those to start with. Yeah, good way to get started. Um, started adding a couple modules here and there. Um, I like found a, a little parts bin that was just the right height to like stick another row power 30 in and start like screwing the modules into the plastic lip of it. It was, you know, this weird little, little DIY secondary case I had to the 4MS module. So I, I had about a row and a half. Um, and I think like the most complicated thing I bought was the, the SMR, the 4MS SMR. Uh, I don't know that one. What the hell is it called? Um, was that back when they had the weird kind of like weird painting uh, face it was, plates? It was the white one with the ring of colored LEDs around it. Oh, a spectral white. multiband resonator. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. the Smur. Okay, yeah. yeah. I just couldn't remember what it stood for, but like <laughs> it was way too much module for me. I did not understand how the damn thing worked. I and still like, don't understand that thing. I mean, I, I get it better now. I'm like, yeah. okay, it's like a six-band EQ and a comb filter and a resonator and a blah 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 you know, like you know envelope generator and yeah. like envelope follower and uh, okay let's say it does everything great awesome <laughs> it was too much for me to handle at yeah. the time um but i, I bought it because it like i saw blank mass using it in one of his videos and on it is instagram pretty or gorgeous something. looking yeah, yeah it's cool looking it's it's fun but uh so uh, you know i got about to a to like a row and a half and at the time, I I was working for a tech company and I'd gotten some stock options. Uh, we'd finally gone public, uh, you know, a year plus of those stock options invested, and I was like looking at buying a house. Uh, I thought, you know, that's just what you're supposed to do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you get old, you buy a house. One of my friends from my my writing community was a real estate agent, so I talked to her, uh, kind of give her a, a map of the areas I'd want to buy a house in, and she's like. Nah, it's not gonna happen. <laughs> like, 
you don't, you, you know, you have to like have a 20% down payment right now. The market's just nuts. Um, like you could buy a house in St. John's, you could buy a house in like East, East Portland, like past the 205. And I was like, all right, let's buy some synth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I don't it cashed out about like $10,000 worth of stock Jesus and just Christ. like dropped a fuck ton of money at control voltage. <laughs> I, like Jason's face there was kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, let's <laughs> do this. Good day right. for him. It's <laughs> like, this is the list of things you want. I'm like, yep. I've done like a month of research on uh-huh. all these modules I wanted. And, you know, they had seen all this advice in the forums that was like, don't buy a whole bunch of stuff at once. You know, like yeah. buy one thing at a time, you know, figure it out, buy another thing. And I'm like, I, I just never the kind of person who does what I'm told, I yeah. guess. <laughs> I like have to figure out stuff on my own. And that means I make a lot of mistakes, but yeah, I'm fine with that. I for just, sure. Most of them are recoverable. Every once in a while, it's a broken bone or, you know, <laughs> an absurd Or a module of, you have to sell on reverb. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I just like, you know, I probably dropped $5,000 on modules and a case and stuff at, at Control Voltage. And I bought a Sub 37. I bought nice. uh, a machine drum. Mm-hmm. You know, to replace the Volca Beats, um, some recording equipment, like this Focusrite thing that we're recording into. I had one of those. Uh, and then I just, I spent like eight, nine months figuring out how all that shit worked. And I mean, like obsessively, like four to six hours every single See, day. And that's that's the thing. When, when people say don't buy a bunch of shit, it's because most people won't do that. Right. Yeah. So you doing that makes it okay that you, you bought all that shit. Yep. And it was, I mean, it was exactly what I described to my girlfriend was going to happen. I'm like, I'm going to be a crazy person. And I just turned into a crazy person and like, (laughs) um, spent most of my time with these machines trying to figure out how they worked. And, uh, you know, about eight months later, I, I did like a test run live show in this like very small private event that I put on, uh, just to like try it out. And it was like mostly a reading focus thing because I was still kind of operating in both communities at the same time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I decided I to like crossover in that though. Yeah, it's it's there. There's there's opportunities for it. Um, less so with the kind of like weird noisy music that comes out of a modular yeah, synth. Usually yeah. it's more like a sensitive dude with an acoustic guitar. You know? Yeah. But, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like, you know, it was it was just a like, kind of a test run. I'm like, can I? make live music in a space and not completely fuck it up. Like, I know these people won't really like this music. It's not their scene. It's not going to be the kind of music they like. But, like, will I feel like I can put something on in a low-stakes environment that I won't feel like I completely fucked up? And I felt like it went okay. So then I, like, talked to Jeff, who puts on the Volt Divers event in Portland, Mm -hmm. uh, which I'd been going to for eight months or something, you know is basically as soon as I found out about it from, uh, I don't know, I think it was Joseph at Control Vultures that told me about it. I started going every month and like kind of soaking all that in. It was like, just felt like I was home, you know, mm-hmm. as soon as I, I started going to that event. Uh, and I played it for the first time, you know, probably eight months after I'd started going to it. And I, I just like, it's still one of my favorite live sets I've ever played because I was so obsessive about it. I put like two months of work into that set, mm-hmm. just dialing every little thing in. And, um, you know, there's a, there's like that elation that you feel when you first start to put something together. Like, oh, this is amazing. And then like 
you go to sleep and you wake up the next day and you're like, oh, this is shit. Like, what was I thinking, right? <laughs> and you just have to push through that because you come out of it the other side. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And just you, sleep it off. Give yourself a few hours if you're feeling that way. You know, you keep working on something. You keep putting the effort in and you'll, you'll come out the other side where you're like back to that phase of elation, except mm-hmm. it gets even better than it was when you started. Yeah. Um, I and I feel like that set reached that point because I just put so much time and effort in it. Actually, I don't, I don't know that I've ever put that much time and effort into a set since then <laughs> um, because it was like the first one and it had to be so good. Yeah. Um, but uh, it went really well. And so like, in fact, it went so well that I got booked for like three more things immediately after that because of that set I played. And I don't think any of the sets that followed were quite as good because <laughs> then I was more like scrambling to create something new. Right, I felt right. like I had to rip out all the patch cables and start over and mm-hmm. build something new. When I probably could have just played the same patch, and who, who would have known? Right? Yeah, you right, get right. so much variety out of these things. And like, by the time you played it again, you probably would have practiced it enough to where it would yeah. have been a little different. And... Uh, yeah. So that you know, from there, I, then I started trying to like play live shows pretty regularly and as as often as I can. And um, at, at that point in time, it was like all modular sets. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how did you get into? Because you, how many how many events do you run now? Just in Portland, and you're doing the modular on the spot, Portland, right? Yeah, and um, then other others yep. on top of I've that. I've got two others uh, in addition to that, which is uh, Signal Logic Control and Bloom. Uh, so Signal Logic Control is well. I guess we start with modular and spot. You know, uh, I got invited. Uh, I think it was it was that same summer. It was maybe like the third live show I played. Uh, I got invited to come up here and play modular in a spot at Gasworks Park. Okay, um, Bradley and yeah, Bradley that and Josh. might have been the first modular in a spot Bradley put on too. I can't remember. Okay, I think it was. Okay. Um, and so this was this wasn't that long ago. Yeah. two years maybe, not even. Yep. Okay. I mean, like I've only been making music seriously for about three years. Okay. So. That is so um, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would have never guessed that. <laughs> I, I, I'm i just kind of obsessed with it. So yeah. Like, um, and it, it, it goes back to that thing that Tom Spambar taught me, which is like put fucking everything into it, yeah. you know, and just practice all the time and get better and get better and get better. So like um, I, I can't speak enough for how much practice makes a difference. You know? Yeah. Like uh, I don't practice as much right now as I used to. I, just, I, I need to like. I got to say. By five years, release at least an EP. <laughs> That's I'm, I'm asking you right now. My well, my goal, my goal is to have uh, an EP written by the end of this year, so that I okay. can record it and release it next year. Okay. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to quite get there, but that's the goal. All right. Well, it's good. Yeah. Give yeah. yourself deadlines. That's good. Yeah. Um. So, uh, so yeah, I, I played that first module in a spot here in Seattle, and I absolutely loved it. It was just like such a cool space to do that in with the big oh, gasworks park yeah. yeah google gasworks park listener if you don't mm-hmm. know and then you can really picture what that was like also google goose shit at gasworks <laughs> park because there was a lot of yeah, it there is a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't don't google uh up close version of gasworks park maybe go, maybe maybe like gasworks park vista or something like i that. like i've never <laughs> played a show in so much goose shit before yeah south lake union is is 30 percent goose shit <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's how much I love this performance is despite that I, the fact that I was like up to my elbows and goose shit, I was like, this is amazing. I need to start doing this in Portland. Uh, so I, I reached out to Rodent and Banna mm-hmm. and it just so happened that they were, uh, the next month they were coming to Portland to do 
a module in a spot there and try to like kick off excitement for it and get somebody involved. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. So Cause they, I know they, they, I know they got asked a lot to mm-hmm. go to other places and it wasn't, and then Eric and Bannon were just kind of like, do it yourself. Yeah. So they, um, I, I reached out to them like a week before that show. So it was great timing. They, they had already planned to come out there and do one in cathedral park. Uh, so, you know, I went out there and just kind of watched and observed how they put one on. And, uh, the following month I did my first one. Um, uh, I did it with, uh, with Jason's help from control voltage cause he was wanting to buy a generator anyway. Okay. So <laughs> he picked up, uh, the same generator that Eric and Banny use for their show. Um, I borrowed it. Uh, I supplied the PA, um, and we did it at, uh, Oh, what's it called? Rocky Butte, which is like a cinder cone in Portland. It's like 360 degree view of the whole city. I've seen pictures. Um, it looks badass. It's the most amazing show. I try to do one there every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this summer, uh, Julia did the women and non-binary takeover up there. Okay, it's just cool. It's just such a beautiful spot. Um, and so like that really like kind of cemented it for me. Like everybody loved that space so much. Um, it sounds great up there. Uh, I felt really good about putting on my own like first music event. Um, it's crazy just being a, you know being like a, a focused musician for as little time as you've been doing it and to do what you're doing is pretty yeah. fucking cool. I never do anything any other way except as hard as I possibly can. In the same way, I have no business having a podu- <laughs> a, a, podu- a modular podcast. <laughs> No fucking business. I remember. I still. I still cringe. Like I'll be at work and I'll cringe about this. I'll be thinking about like the third episode I ever recorded, and uh, I was talking to this guy Chris Davis, who's a Seattle uh, electronic musician, super talented, and he's telling me about Surge, and I was like, "What?" He's <laughs> like, "Oh yeah, if you haven't heard of like Surge systems, you should definitely check them out." And here I am recording a fucking <laughs> podcast about. Like so, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So I get it. I get it. Yeah. I feel like we have the same, same spirit. Yep. I like. I can't. I, I feel like uh, it was maybe like in sometime in the last six months. I was like, oh yeah, if I stick a like an attenuator in front of an LFO, I'll have more. Co- wow. Yeah. <laughs> like six months ago, and I'm like putting on events and yeah. stuff like that. You know, like imposter syndrome is real and it is ever present. But well, luckily, this is like the best <laughs> community to be a part of if you yeah. like that because it's just so welcoming and it's it's so like cavalier or maverick or mm-hmm. something to like it's like yeah what there's there's no fucking yep. rules really like, yeah so is uh, yeah it was I mean it's really just like for the love of putting on these events you know um, sometimes I play my own events but mostly it was just to give other people space to play their music and. Uh, for the most part, I try to keep them separate. It's like a lot to keep track of if you're trying to play your own set and put on an event yeah, at the same no, time. For sure, yeah, for you sure. Know, I certainly do it every once in a while. It's fun, but uh, it, it's also very stressful. So mostly, I just, like I love putting on the events and like just giving people a good time, a good time to share their art, um, creating a really cool space for it. And like I, uh, I picked up a lot of good tips on this from my girlfriend because she's really good at that stuff. Uh, so even though she's not familiar with these synthesizers at all and stuff like we work on these events a lot together and like mm-hmm. I'll definitely like give her a lot of credit for kind of helping shape how well my events perform because a lot of her input and philosophy is in these things um, so you know like same as Seattle 
in Portland, you can't do module in the spot for very long. It's an yeah. outdoor only event. Um, you know, I do it like May through maybe September. Yeah. Um, I think the one time I actually did one in September, it ended up raining and we had to, you know, go indoors at the last minute. Yeah. And then like nobody showed up. Yeah. Like literally like three people who <laughs> weren't performers or significant others of performers showed up, you mm-hmm. know, I was like, okay. Um, well, no more, no more outdoor events in September. I mean, if I, if I could get it together and it just happened to work right, great, but it just hasn't come together any year yeah. because it gets too rainy and unpredictable in September. So shit that happened to me in July, I was going to play modular spot at Gasworks, and I was super pumped and it ended up raining us out and we went to patchworks and played, which was cool, but it was like, I wanted mm-hmm. to play at Gasworks. So yeah, I, I feel your pain on that. Yeah. So like the following spring, it was, uh, Early March, um, Jason was working with IntelliGel to put on the Cinco 2 conference at Holocene in Portland. So, like, a lot of modular manufacturers came in. And um, what is Holocene? It's a it's a club in Portland. Okay. So they it, they they'll rent out the space during the day, and you can do conferences and stuff there. Oh, cool. So they you know they had all sorts of monu- uh, modular manufacturers in. And then they did a show that night, too, where, like, uh, Eric and Banna played, uh, Basic played. I can't remember who the fourth person was. There four performers. But the night before, quite a I created an event uh, that was maybe a one-off, maybe going to continue, but it, I, I called it Signal Logic Control. Um, it was an indoor event that was modular-focused, but... Um, Actually, that one that one was modular only, I think, because it was right before that modular focus conference. Okay. Um, but we did it indoors, so it was kind of like a module and a spot indoors. And I, I know you have a similar event here. Was it modular nights? Modular what, nights, yeah. yeah. They opened up the format a little bit, though. Yeah. Uh, it's not just modular. Right. So that's where the next time I did signal logic control, which is like two months later, I decided to start doing it every other month. Uh, I decided to open up the format of it so you could bring in whatever you want in addition to modular. Um, I, I like having that variation, and especially if it's kind of seasonal, because I think you could get stuck in either rut. You could get, you could maybe lean on too much external gear and maybe not focus on your modular. So summertime, nice weather time, it's what do you got? What can you do mm-hmm. on your module? Yeah. Okay. Wintertime, all right. Well, now let's have some fun. I know you have other gear. Let's, like, it, I feel like it's a really good balance. Yeah. Yeah, and I just I wanted to like open up who can play these events, you know, um, to that a certain too. degree. Yeah. Like, you know, some people are really good about saving up their money um, from whatever job they have and buying a module here and a module there. But like, to a certain degree, like being a modular synthesis is a at least somewhat well-off person's it's a game. Bougie. Right? It's it's expensive yeah. to get into. Like, there are much cheaper ways to make music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The Volca series. Um, so, you know, I wanted to expand who who can play at these events, uh, whether it's somebody that has a little bit of modular and then they incorporate some other gear or somebody who doesn't play any modular at all, but they collaborate with somebody who does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I had uh, Production Unit Zero and, and Ralph Barton played at one of these Signal Logic Control events. And uh, I think uh, Ramon is Production Unit Zero. He does have a modular system now that he's building, but at the time he wasn't doing that at all. So he just played a set together with Ralph, and it was amazing, you know. But I, I wouldn't have been able to have him play if it was like module and spot rules, right? So like both have their merits. I absolutely love module and spot, and it's great yeah, for sure to focus in and and just showcase what modular can do. But 
uh, you know, I wanted a wider spectrum. Mm -hmm. So signalogic control became the thing where, you know, uh, the rules are basically off. I don't really care. Like I have a real loose definition of what modular is like, uh, for the next one coming up in January, I booked uh, a local band in Portland called sibling mm -hmm. that I absolutely love. And they, they use a, uh, an MS 20 in their setup, you know, I'm like, yeah, fuck it. That's modular. I don't care. Yeah. Like yeah. whatever. Like what your music is great. It's fun. Stuff. You know, what's that? I, 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 have you heard of hungry robot? No, I've kind of been obsessed with this stuff. So it, it's, a. Uh, it's a guitar pedal manufacturer, but they make modules all in guitar pedal enclosures. So okay. they all work on CV, but they yeah. run off 9-volt. Mm -hmm. So they're just little block, but you use the same size patch cords and everything. Okay. Like I was wondering, yeah. like, how would, are, are those okay? for? And, and I think those lines are going to continue to be blurred. Mm -hmm. as like stuff like the No Coast and DFAM, stuff like that gets more popular. I think more stuff like that's coming. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's going to be harder and harder to keep stuff like that. But And like... Yeah, I mean, I want to I want to keep modular in spot during the summer when it's warm enough to do so. True to that vision, you know. Yeah, I really it's like not my having concept, that. It's not in my mm -hmm. event, but I love putting it on. It's absolutely great, and I just wanted more freedom to get weird and like not really care that much about the rules. Right. You know, I've I've even like thought about like you know, maybe I'll just do a signal logic control that's like you don't even have to bring modular. I don't I don't care. Yeah, play whatever it is. I think modular like, night, modular yeah. nights here. They they just they yeah. don't care. I mean, we, when I played it, yeah, when uh, we met. earlier this year, I did not bring a single piece of modular gear with me. Was that there this was, year? It was like February or March. Okay, this year, I think. okay, yeah. yeah. I feel like it was a while ago. I know. <laughs> it feels like a long time ago to me too. <laughs> um, but that's that's also kind of like indicative of where I've gone with my music. Um, I shifted my focus this this calendar year, roughly at the beginning of the year. Um, Changed the name I perform under. It was like I used to perform under the name Astro Warrior. And it just, like, it's a reference to, like, an 80s Sega Master System game. <laughs> and once I, like, shifted into a new direction and a new way of making music, it just felt kind of, like, like too goofy, you know, mm -hmm. to, like, yeah. be referencing some 80s Sega video game. So uh, I, I started performing under the name Trust Anchor, uh, which it doesn't really mean anything it's like an information security term uh, <laughs> but it just it could sound kind of ominous or whatever you know like i, I like, like it. how I think it sounds cool open-ended it sounds um and i i shifted more to a workflow where i don't make music in my modular anymore for the most part my modular is there for sound design uh yeah i i use it for sample creation or very weird modulated effects on something that's kind of what create. why i wanted to get into it it's exactly yeah. that um and i still love doing fully live modular on this you know spot sets or whatever like i still do full modular sets uh mm -hmm. the last time i played signal logic control uh, was all modular i didn't bring in anything else um but when i'm like writing music what i'm working on for this ep i'm trying to wrap up by the end of the year it's all in electron gear primarily, and then anything else I have gets sampled into the Octatrack or one shots go into the analog rhythm, you know. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, like the Octatrack can also sequence MIDI gear, so it'll sequence my Deckard stream, it'll sequence uh, the Juno 106, whatever, right? I've got some keyboards, I'm a terrible keyboard player, so it's <laughs> all sequencers, right? Mm -hmm. um, unless I'm just playing long pads where I can just like, okay, I'll hold down this yeah. note for four bars and then hit the <laughs> next one because I can handle that. You know, uh -huh. <laughs> um, It's mostly sequencers and it's mostly Electron. The, like the Octatrack is the brain of everything. 
So yeah, these days modular is like mostly used for sound design stuff. For okay, me. I want to try some Octatrack stuff. So Octatrack, if you're listening, that's an open <laughs> uh, open sponsorship slots. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want I want an Electron sponsorship. Electron, if you're listening, sponsor me. Um, so, well, we're we are we're ripping through this um, this time. What what? How can people find the uh, the dates? And locations of these multiple events you run. Oh God! Um, I was just thinking about this the other day because somebody uh, who's a musician who's new to town. Uh, I was telling her about some of the stuff I was got. She wanted to go to more of these events, and she's like, "Do you have a newsletter?" I'm like, "Oh God!" Like, <laughs> a newsletter. I'm like, that would reach everyone about all of my events at once. That sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, no, so I've like you know I've like. Uh, I have like an Instagram page for each event. I have a Facebook page for each event and okay. it's all scattered. And I was thinking the other, I'm like, God, maybe I should just consolidate all of this into one and like have one kind of like production company concept that puts Almost on all these like events. Almost like an anchor. Mm. Ah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But right now it's like, there's a Facebook page for Signal Logic Control. There's a Facebook page for Module and Spot PDX. There's a Facebook page for Bloom. There's uh like my artist Instagram account trust uh, at trust anchor, right. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, that'll repost stuff from all of these, but there's a signal logic control f- Instagram account too. I don't have a bloom Instagram account. I'm very inconsistent with all this stuff, obviously. <laughs> um, it's all very DIY and I'm just flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah. But. Well, I feel like also you're kind of in like the, the holy land of modular synthesis. So it's probably a lot yeah. of, you know, just a lot of word of mouth probably works well there and just yeah. people know each other that's one thing i wanted i wanted to get into you get into with you but i don't think we have time just like just what it's like living in portland with all like you have three different synth events that you hold and i have people who write in you know like oh i listened to your show with you know bradley and josh or with with eric um with eric cheslak unfortunately banna couldn't be there for the episode but like i wish i i wish i had a modular on the spot in my town you know mm-hmm. like i wish i had another person in my town that even knew about modular <laughs> synthesis so. yeah that's rough um <laughs> i say start it though start yeah. one if you get 10 people out to a park that's that's cool mm-hmm. you know like it's uh, yep uh, do uh, it. or start an event with your own rules you know um yeah mix it up you know there's gonna be there's gonna be people in your city who want to do the same thing you just have to like start it and not care if you get it right Mm -hmm. learn from each event and make the next one better and make the next one better and keep iterating on it you know yeah it's not that hard as long as you just set your ego aside and don't get bummed out and quit if you fuck something up because you will you know i've definitely like Oh yeah, I did some shitty sound that show, but now I know how to do that better next time. Mm-hmm. And like, I know what's wrong. Or, oops, I that was, sounded great, but I fucked up all the recordings from it because I had the <laughs> the Zoom Five overdriven. You know, yeah. <laughs> S- stuff happens all the time. Yeah. Like, doesn't and matter. Learn from it. Keep going. I think also one thing that you hit on there that it that's that seems to be a theme is uh, you said you know don't have an ego about it, and you're not going to find a lot of egos in this the scene mm-hmm. which is weird because i thought getting into it it'd be a, a little bit maybe not ego but a little bit more um it was intimidating it's an yeah. intimidating instrument yeah i mean but uh i you know i i couldn't say i've found none of it but like right. there's very little of it yeah. it's it's very like 
I mean, I think modular is kind of a humbling instrument. Yeah, like, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> um, you know, there have been a couple people who've been like, that's, you know, that's not an instrument. You're just like turning knobs and shit. And I'm like, I just want to hand them a blank unpatched synth and be like, make a noise, motherfucker. Yeah, that's, that's exactly <laughs> what I say. Anybody who says, like, oh, that's just that, like, all right, then you do it. Make a sound. <laughs> just like, like people who like, oh, <laughs> sampling, yeah, using samples for music isn't like original music. Okay. Mm-hmm. Make your own sample. Go go dig through some crates. Yeah. Let's see what you come up with. <laughs> That'll be really fucking cool. <laughs> all right. So I want to give the the listener a heads up and that uh, you, you're you're up here for work from mm-hmm. Portland up in Seattle and we're doing this on a weeknight. You don't have your system with you. You have my weird Frankenstein system that has hardly anything in it that you've really used, but you're still going to use it for the patch challenge. So I just want to do it. I want to just say to the listener, it's going to, I'm, I'm, I trust that it's going to sound cool, but as cool as it sounds like the, actually the cooler it sounds, the more you'll be impressed, I guess. But sometimes my favorite like way to generate my samples and stuff is playing around with something I'm not familiar with and just like hit record and see what kind of weird noises come out of it. I'll go back the next day and cut snippets of it out. So, uh, maybe we'll get something I can use here. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. That, that I I'll pass it along to you. I'll pass the raw <laughs> recording on to you for sampling. But I went on. I've I've been using this um, this uh, creativityforyou.com uh, combination thing, so I don't have to wrestle paper around mm-hmm. anymore. And that that would get some like ASMR value to your. That's I thought it might have been annoying, sh- but now yeah, maybe yeah. my ASMR heads are missing that. Yeah, this, we should get some like I'll just click my nails. Yeah. And Maybe I'll create a sample. That's, that's <laughs> but um, sometimes the the generator will do stuff that's just not worth doing. Um, Ooh. But this one, this one's pretty good. Uh, Splendid mushroom. Oh boy, <laughs> this could be interpreted very widely. Yeah, right. <laughs> I th- I think I'm familiar with a couple splendid mushrooms. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And could probably imagine roughly what that sounds like, so <laughs> I'm I'm willing to go with that. <laughs> All right, well let's take a uh, let's take a little break, and we'll be back. Let's look at the expert sleepers Disting Mark IV clockable LFO. This LFO is pretty dense. There's a lot of cool functionality in it, and I don't think I could really do it its entire justice in a three or four minute demo. But I'm going to show you how I use it as the heart and soul of an entire patch. So really quick, I've got the output B going into the trigger of uh, a kick drum, which I'm then running into the AI Synthesis 006 stomp box adapter and feeding that signal into the Earthquaker device's transmitter and afterneath pedals. So let's bring that up in the mix. Pretty basic right now. Now I've got the NIT, which is the microplats from After Later Audio. I'm running the standard output into a VCA that's being controlled by an ADSR that's being triggered by the output A of the LFO from Disting. So let's bring that up into the mix. Okay, all right. Not quite, not quite there. Let's, um, Let's bring the uh, the auxiliary output from the knit just straight into another mixer. Okay, not super exciting yet, but let's take the output A from the LFO and let's put it into the morph CVN from the knit. 
Okay, that's getting to be a little bit more interesting. Now let's take the output B from the LFO from Expert Sleepers Disting and put it into the harmony input of the NIT. That's pretty fun. Now you can get pretty wild with this thing. Um, I'm gonna take a uh, an output from the maths and put it into the Z input, which is the integer multiplier slash divider. Um, I can't really explain what that means, but I can show you how weird it makes it. So I'm just messing with the rise and fall time of the maths signal. So you can start getting some pretty pretty wild results from this. And I can take that out and I can just feed it just a trigger. give it a slower trigger. Uh, what's also pretty cool about this is there is a, a tap tempo function on it. So it's following the clock input that I'm feeding it, but if I tap it, it'll take that that tap signal and override it. Now let's unplug the clock that's going in and just use the tap tempo. So yeah, you can see how much fun you can have with this LFO. Um, I'd love to see what you guys are doing with uh, your distings. So if uh, if you decided to pick one up based off of any of these demos, uh, let me know. I want to want to hear what you're doing with it. Go to expertsleepers.co.uk to learn more, and also check out the AI Synthesis 006 Stompbox adapter, the uh, Earthquaker devices, transmitter and afterneath pedals, and the afterlater audio. Microplats, aka Knit. Okay, so time's up. How weird is it patching on someone else's system under a time constraint? Very. I also <laughs> maybe made the mistake of using almost no modules that I recognize on purpose. I kind of like uh, that, though. Yeah, you know. Like I said, I never do anything except as hard as I possibly can. So <laughs> fuck it. Like, let's just use a bunch of modules I've never touched before. I like I how much you used a lot of the recovery stuff. Yeah, I got a, I got a woggle bug in here. I know that one. That's <laughs> Basimilis. Uh, and I used to use a Tempe. I don't have it anymore. That's about it. Yeah. Other, all this, the rest of this stuff is things I don't use. Well, I like it. Um, so your words were splendid mushroom. 
what, what did that uh did that what did that do to your brain um well i kind of thought like it would it would originally start with like very slow envelopes a lot of reverb and some like clicking and popping noises i was kind of just imagining I was just watching a video on Facebook the other day. It was just like a uh, fast forward footage of mushrooms springing up from nothing. Uh-huh. And, and I kind of had that in my head. Uh, and I don't, I don't know that this sounds anything like that. But <laughs> well, it's, it's good to start it's with a mental thing. imagery. Um, there are other types of splendid mushrooms, which were not featured in that video. And this may sound more like that. <laughs> okay. Let's put it that way. Magical. Before we sign off, um, you already mentioned your Instagram accounts for anybody. And, and if people are in the Portland area, can they reach out to you to try to play any of these events? Or Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I always want to pull new people in and, and get a mix of like big enough names that people show up and, and new faces and that sort of thing and, and help new artists get a start. Because like I 
got my start like I said three years ago you know yeah. like uh, I want to book new artists and make sure they get some space to play their music and grow their music careers so awesome absolutely and is the best place to do that probably trust Danker on Instagram, Instagram. yeah that's kind of the central thing to all of it so. okay sweet and then um, my last question is there is there any of your uh, fiction writing that you want people to check out yeah um, there's uh, I, I'll, I'll mention two things one is a collection of like weird tales you know kind of twilight zone s stories that are set in portland it's mm -hmm. called city of weird okay uh my short story is set at the ground control arcade there okay yeah and it has to there. do with Love the it. uh mythical arcade game that may or may not exist called polybius uh-huh uh and an imaginary sequel to that game <laughs> and also my divorce it's a weird story read it um and then the other one is uh a collection of paintings by a local artist named Stephen O'Donnell that just came out this summer called The Untold Gaze. Uh, it's a coffee table of his books along with a piece of uh, flash fiction, you know, like 750 words or less, inspired by each painting in the book. Okay. So cool. um, it's a thing I wrote years ago, but it just finally got published this year. Okay. And uh, definitely worth checking out because his paintings are amazing. It's all like self-portraits of himself in like Marie Antoinette era drag. Okay. <laughs> it's fascinating. And yeah. where can people find this stuff? Uh, Powell's. Powell's. Just go to Powell's. You'll find both of them there. They're usually both like recommended by somebody who works there because both Stephen and Gigi, who's his wife and put together City of Weird, they both work there. Okay. So cool. They're almost always on an end cap somewhere in somebody's recommendations. And can you find this stuff online or is it just in? Yeah. Powell's.com, I think. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was really fun. Thanks, Kevin. Um, also, just one more tip of the hat to you for doing the patch challenge on a system that wasn't yours that you're completely unfamiliar with. Uh, it was a pretty sweet patch. Um, thank you to our sponsors, After Later Audio. Go to afterlateraudio.com to check out some of these sweet, mutable clones that he's working on. And there's, uh, there's some other stuff in the works. Um, the Atom, which is kind of the mini elements i'm super excited about um also check out that disting mark IV from expert sleepers uh if you happen to pick one up because of the show let me know go to patchworks.com p-a-t-c-h-w-e-r-k-s.com to uh buy some synth stuff um help support this awesome grassroots brick and mortar uh community hub that we have here in Seattle. And don't forget, if you're in Nolens <laughs> next weekend, Sunday, uh, February 10th at 6 p.m. at Disco Obscura, uh, we're going to be doing a live Podular Modcast. So uh, please, please come say hi. Let's end today's episode with one more demo. Um, I was just having a lot of fun making these, and this thing came out of it. So, uh, yeah, check it out. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so that was a fun patch we had earlier with uh, the nano rings from After Later Audio uh, showcasing the dual reverb from the Mark IV disting from Expert Sleepers. Now let's bring that patch back up. Got the angle grinder from Schlappy Engineering controlling the wet-dry. Ghostly. Now, I got another new module in the mail not too long ago from Abe from AI Synthesis, and this is their new AI006 Stompbox adapter. And I have these beautiful Earthquaker devices that I've been wanting to use with my modular, but it's just not optimal to use guitar pedals with, uh, with your modules for technical reasons that I understand but can't explain. 
<laughs> so this stomp box adapter, what it does is it steps down your output from your modules to the line level of uh, your guitar pedals. So let's bring this same signal from the rings into, let's first bring it into the afterneath from Earthquake Devices. So running in through the AI 006 and out into Earthquaker Devices. What's really cool about this uh, AI006 is there's an attenuator for your uh, your input signal and for your out because not all pedals and modules are created equal so you can dial in the perfect mix and I'm gonna mess with the drag knob on this afterneath from Earthquaker devices it's kind of a ghostly reverb now for a little extra character I've also got the transmitter from Earthquaker Devices, which is another ghostly reverb, <laughs> um, but quite a bit different. So let's just stack those on top of each other. Now just for good measure, let's bring some low end from the Telharmonic into this patch and just groove on it for a second. Be sure to check out Expert Sleepers Disting Mark IV, the AI006, the After Later Nano Rings, and the Transmitter and Afterneath from Earthquaker Devices.